Well, I hope you have been blessed by our music this morning. Miss Sharon, thank you for that. You, uh, you have no idea, because we didn't communicate this. I can't think of a better song to lead into our sermon today. Anybody recognize that tune? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's a good word. Every car that you drive <clears throat> has a dashboard. Now, dashboards have gotten, in some ways, quite a bit more simple and, in some ways, quite a bit more complex. You've got cars that park themselves now and uh, let you know when you're drifting into other lanes. I mean, um, that's what your wife is for, you know, to uh, correct you. And now you have, I guess you can have a British accent or an Australian accent correcting you, um, different voices. But our life has a dashboard to it as well. And one of those issues when we are uh, thinking through this issue of measuring twice, cutting once, one of those things on our dashboard, spiritually speaking, should be our engagement with the Scriptures. So think about your personal time in the Word, and think about that as a gauge on a spiritual dashboard of your life. How many RPMs do you have revving this week? It's an interesting, <clears throat> interesting question to ask because as Americans, 93% of us have a Bible in our home. That's not Christians, that's citizens of the United States. Almost everyone has a Bible in their home. As a matter of fact, the average home, now this is because some of you have like 20 Bibles in your home, the average is four Bibles per household in the United States. And just because we own it, and just because it's the best-selling book of all time, does not mean that it is read. I think it was Billy Graham who said, if all the Bibles in the United States were taken off the shelf and dusted off at the same time, it would be the end of the world as we know it. It would be such a big dust storm, we wouldn't know what to do. The crops would die, the sun would not shine. And there's a lot of truth to that, isn't there? We need to spend time in the Word. <clears throat> and there's a variety of reasons that we need to spend time in the Word. Um, anyone who has worked in, in, in pastoral ministry or student ministry, or especially with college students, uh, college is such a, a pivotal age because you get away from your parents for the first time and you have these professors with all of these letters at the end of their name that say, oh, you know, the Bible's a book for simpletons and you have to be naive to believe it. And so it's not uncommon that I get asked by young people who are trying to figure life out in trying to figure, is this my faith or is this mom and dad's faith, for them to ask me, well, what do you really believe about the Bible? I could ask the same question to you. And the truth is, I don't know that I want your answer as much as I want to look at your lifestyle to figure out what you really believe about the Scriptures. Oh, it's a great book. It's the, the book of books. It's a book of life. It's, then why do you not engage with it more? It's one thing to have a definition of what it means. There's another thing to define it with activity. We, we, we hold to orthodox belief about the scriptures, but we do not practice daily Bible intake. So I have a, <clears throat> you may think that this is kind of coy. I'm not trying to be coy. When someone says, well, what do you believe about the Bible? I have a really simple answer for them. Whatever Jesus believed about the Bible I believe about the Bible. Now, can we figure out what Jesus 
believed about the Bible. Listen, if Jesus is to be the Lord of our life, if Jesus believes that marriage is between one man and one woman for life, then guess what? I don't have the option or the luxury of changing what I think about marriage. If Jesus believes it, then I believe it. If Jesus believes that um, we're supposed to show honor to whom honor is due, that uh, we're supposed to work hard to please the Lord, not to please our boss, that abortion is wrong, then that's what I believe. And I believe what Jesus believed about the Bible. So here's six quick truths that you already know, but it's good for us to remember about the scriptures, because if you call yourself a Christian, your view of the Bible should not be, well, you know, we're more sophisticated than that. You know, there's a lot of good life lessons, but it's not really true. Well, let let me challenge that by giving you these quick points about what Jesus believed. Number one, he said he didn't come to abolish it. He came to fulfill it. He was not coming to write a new book of scripture. He was coming to create a new covenant but he was coming to fulfill the old covenant. And he was not abolishing it. He was fulfilling it. Uh, even more specific than that, Jesus said, uh, Jesus taught that every stroke, every stroke was established by God and eternal. He believed it down to the punctuation, down to the apostrophes, down to the commas. And he said, there's not one stroke or uh, yod, it's, the, it's almost like an apostrophe in Hebrew, that every single one of them has been established by God, and it is eternal. Number three, Jesus said that those who practice it and teach it correctly are great. And, and by, by converse, there are those who twist it and don't practice it. <clears throat> Number four, I think this is an interesting one, and it's a, it's a great little passage we're going to look at. Jesus taught that Scripture was written by... God and man. Now, you, you know, we sit there and go, wow, how could that happen? How can the Bible be a error-free <clears throat> recollection of what happened? If God used man, it's got to be fallible. No, he can superintend the process. Look, at, look with me at Matthew chapter um, 7, verses, uh, well, I think it's just verse 9 that we're going to look at. 9 and 10. Jesus said to them, you'll see this uh, scripture on, your, uh, on the screen here behind us, Jesus said to them, you completely invalidate God's command. Whose command? God's command. Who said it? God said it. You completely invalidate God's command in order to maintain your tradition, for Moses said, who said it? Whose command? God's command. Who said it? Moses said it authored by God, authored by man. Number five, Jesus believed that the most outrageous details were historically reliable and accurate. Jesus himself referred to a historical Adam. He referred to the days of Noah. He compared his resurrection to Jonah's three days and three nights in the belly of the fish and affirmed them as true. And most ultimately, number six, Jesus taught that the scriptures were specifically and explicitly about him. You remember the story after his resurrection on the road to Emmaus. He's walking with these people who don't even recognize him. And he says, Didn't, haven't you heard about all of this? And he went through all of the Old Testament scriptures and showed how those pointed to him. And so we can have good confidence about what Jesus' opinion was about the word. And the challenge for us is to say, Jesus is the Lord of my opinions. What Jesus believed about the word is what 
I believe about the word. Well, enough theory. Let's talk practically here for just a second about what's so great about the Bible. And I'm going to ask you a question that I I, I have a feeling you have probably not not heard about. It's been underreported, but it is fantastic when you think through the implications of this. Have you heard about the power of four? Power of four, that's a term. That is not just a, 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 a phrase that's been turned for a sermon. There is a research done on Bible engagement that has come to a conclusion that there is a, a, a thing called the power of four. There's a research institute called the uh, Center for Biblical Engagement, and they have uh, conducted research with tens of thousands of people. This is not a church survey you know, of a single church and 50 people that they came up with some interesting results, but it's not statistically or correlationally significant. No, this is scientific research that has been done that talks about what happens if you engage with the Scripture four days a week. And you go, well, you know, I, I don't do four days a week. I, I do one day a week, two days a week. I, I do seven days a week. There is a statistically significant Uh, degree of life transformation that happens in people who engage with the word four days a week or more. Four days seems to be the breaking point. Less than three days, no life transformation. More than four days or more, powerful connection between engaging with scripture and a positive moral and emotional life. There is no other practice in the Christian life that proves to be so significant as engaging with the Scripture. They ran the same test against the practice of prayer. They ran the same test against the practice of church attendance. And the thing that seemed to make the biggest difference in someone's life was engaging with the Scripture four days or more. Now let me give you the bad news, okay? Before I give you the good news, okay? You all with me? And, And I say this as a point of self-correction in your life, not condemnation. The research shows that if you engage with the scriptures less than four days a week, there is no statistically significant difference in your life when it comes to your moral behavior or your mental and emotional health than someone who is not a believer. What do you do with that? If you're not in the word, you look like the world. When it comes to your morality, And when it comes to your mental state of thinking that God is angry at you or far away. And so I want you to hear this because the statistics are incredible. You have to hear them for yourself and be reminded there is no difference between believers who engage the word less than four days a week and non-believers. Because this is, this is rubber hits the road. This is important. Number one, one of the things that they found out is that the Odds of giving into uh, temptation, immoral behavior, significantly decreases. Now, I want you to pay attention to this because I don't know if you're going to be able to see it on here. Let's see that next slide. When it comes to moral behavior, I want you to pay attention to what happens if you uh, do not engage, or if you do engage more than four days a week. Uh, There's a 62% less likelihood that you will ever be involved in drunkenness. Automatic. No matter what your faith tradition is, no matter what kind of family you grew up in, no matter what your family's perspective on alcohol is, if you spend time in the Word, there's a 62% percent 
less chance that you'll ever be drunk. There's a 59% less chance that you'll be involved in viewing stuff on the internet that you don't need to view. Correspondingly, there's a 59% less chance that you will do something outside of the bonds of marriage that the scripture says that you shouldn't do. Guys, listen, let's just stop at the first three and go, is it worth being in the Bible more than four days a week? Absolutely. It goes on. Um, Anybody ever have an anger bomb? You know what an anger bomb is? Anger explosion. You know, you, you come home and you've had such a bad day, but you know you can't get mad at your boss or he'll fire you. So you come home and the cat happens to come out and greet you and you look like a field goal kicker for, well, not Clemson, but a field goal kicker for uh, South Carolina. Boom! What is that? It is a anger bomb. Where it's not premeditated, but you, you there is nothing in reserve to hold back your anger except the Bible. And people who know that the Bible is supposed to play a defining and controlling uh, interest in your life are 31% less likely to lash out in anger. 28% less um, opportunity or uh, take the temptation to gossip or to lie. And when you factor in all of these different bad habits, there's a 57% less chance, if you're in the Bible, at least four times a week, that you'll be involved in any of these. The Bible makes a difference in how you live. It doesn't just make a difference in how you live. It makes a difference in how you think. Look at this next slide. When you talk about your mental and emotional struggles, people who are in the Word uh, are 60% less likely to feel spiritually stagnant. Well, you know what? If you're in the Word four days a week, which there's seven days in a week, so four is a majority. If you're in the Word more than you're not in the Word throughout the week, there's a 60% chance you feel less spiritually stagnant. Well, surprise, people who are in the Word are not spiritually stagnant. If you're not in the Word, you should feel spiritually stagnant. You'll be 44% less likely to feel like you can't please God. 40% less likely to feel bitter. 32% less likely to have destructive thoughts towards yourself or others. 31% less chance of feeling discouraged or having difficulty forgiving others. That's all the negative, all the negatives. Here's the less chance, less chance, less chance, less chance. Let's talk about something positive. Being in the Word actually makes your <laughs> spiritual vibrancy and your, the proactivity of your faith skyrocket. So we've, we've looked at all these things here recently. Uh, pay attention to the percentages here. Someone who's in the Word, a minimum of four days a week, is 416% more likely to give financially to their church. I, I had a conversation with uh, a, a person here recently who had some problems that they're dealing with in their life. And let's go, we'll call it lashing out with anger. We just talked about that here a little bit. And so you know what the first question that I asked them was? How often are you in the Word each week? Well, preacher, I'm not in the Word. Okay, let me ask you another question. Um, what you're giving to your church look like? Eh, it's been a while. Nothing happens in isolation. If you're not in the Word, you're opening the door for all kinds of things to happen. And so I put it out there to say, look at this, 407% more likely to be memorizing Scripture. I'm not making these numbers up. 
you can go to Center for Bible Engagement and you can download like a 100-page report on what their research methodology is, what were the co- correlation coefficients that they were figuring out to, to determine that it was statistically, statistic, that's easy for me to say, statistically significant, um, what were the conclusions of the T-test, and um, if you're into math, which I'm not, you will enjoy that or you will go to sleep really quick. Um, it's there. more likely to be involved in discipling others. 228% more likely to be sharing your faith. Why aren't we sharing our faith? Because we're not in the Word. 218% more likely to give financially to additional causes outside the church. So we just sang about crowning Him as Lord. That's not a religious formality. The, the best way that you crown Jesus as the Lord of your life is in the issue of daily discipleship. Are you spending time in the Word? Because if you're not, then you just lied when you sang. You can sing with great passion and ardor about Jesus being Lord, and it's theory unless you spend time in that Lord's book. He said it's God's words. Listen to it. So we don't just want Him to be the Lord of our destiny. We want Him to be the Lord of our life. So three quick things, th- three different passages <clears throat> I want us to look at to, to beg with you and argue with you and reason with you about why the Bible is important. We've talked about our perspective on the scriptures should be Jesus's perspective on the scriptures. If he believed it, you should believe it or stop calling yourself a Christian. Or get your magic marker and scratch out the parts that you don't like. Or just rip the pages out that you don't want to hold on to. No one would think about doing that. You you do that mentally all the time. You go, oh, I'm smarter than this. It can't possibly be a fish that swallowed a man for three days. Um, Crazy. We want want to um, have the perspective that Jesus had on the scriptures. We want to see statistically what the differences are for people who engage in the word. So three principles that I think are helpful for us this morning. Number one, engaging with the scriptures leads to animation. Engaging with the scriptures leads to animation. Now, I am not talking about drawing cartoons, okay? I'm talking about being animated, having, having life in yourself. Um, if you don't want to be, uh, what was the word we looked up here, a spiritually stagnant Christian, what's the solution? Engage with the scriptures. You cannot be a spiritually stagnant Christian and, and, and be in the Word. It gives life. It, it animates you. And we see this in a famous Bible passage, Matthew chapter 4. Jesus has been led by the Spirit into the wilderness immediately after his baptism. And he spends, uh, he fasts in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And while he is engaged in this uh, religious practice, uh, Satan appears to him and issues three temptations. Um, Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. How did Jesus respond to those temptations? Jesus answered, and he said, It is written. Where? In the Bible. Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Boy, that's easy to say. That's hard to live. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if you live on bread alone, that you are just a shell of what God wants you to be? 
Oh, friend, if you are living on bread alone, if bread is all that sustains you, let me just tell you with, with, with grace and with love, that is a very poor life indeed. Man must not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Jesus begins here by drawing an analogy. Just as physical life is impossible without food, so is spiritual, uh, without physical food, so is spiritual life impossible without spiritual food. How can you sustain yourself eating one meal a week? Man, I encourage you to try it. The vast majority of churchgoers, the only time that they engage with Scripture is on Sunday morning, either through a Sunday school class, Bible study, or a sermon. Try that for your next diet. You think you could go, you, you think you'd gather here next week and be a really happy individual if the last meal you ate was last Sunday's lunch? You want to talk about lashing out in anger? That would be a big problem next week. We wouldn't even need to have a worship service. We'd just have an altar call and it would be full because everyone would be grumpy. If the old adage, you are what you eat, is true, what's that mean for most Christians? Bro, push away from the junk food and eat what your father has put in front of you. Listen, your mom used to tell you, clear, clear off your plate. She worked hard at it, and you better enjoy it. I think God's telling us the same thing. You can fill your mind and your heart and your soul with all kinds of junk food, or you can eat on words of life. Here's the truth from this passage. Jesus uses it to engage in a fist fight with Satan, and you will find that if the word is present in your life, that the word in your life will be a most wonderful tool, useful at the most unexpected of times. It will be a most wonderful tool, useful at the most unexpected times. What do I mean? Jesus is at youth camp. Jesus is on a spiritual retreat. Jesus is out, just him in the wilderness with God, 40 days and 40 nights, and he is fasting, by golly. And he's doing everything right. And then what happens in the midst of this personal time with God? Satan shows up. And here is what is so mind-boggling, precious, beautiful. I don't even know the right language to use. Jesus had an advantage in temptation that you and I don't have, right? He was God, right? So you think about, like, you fighting Satan, and that's a little intimidating, correct? You know, I don't want to fight Satan. Jesus fighting Satan, not, not so intimidating. Jesus could have used whatever resource he had available to fight Satan, which he could have called angels, and it could have been like a, <laughs> you know, a, a wrestling match. He could have pulled out, you know, <laughs> flaming sword to fight against him. And yet, what did he pull out? He pulled out the word of God, which is a resource that is available to everyone, not just the Son of God. <laughs> He did it as an example for us to say, listen, it will animate you and it will prepare you for those unexpected things in life that inevitably will happen. And if the word is in your, not in your life, you will be less prepared for those unexpected things to happen. You ever gone through a challenging circumstance and gone, wow, I reacted to that far better than I thought I would have. Maybe that's the spirit using the Spirit of God, using the Word of God in your life to animate you. It's been said 
when the devil comes knocking on your door, send Jesus to the front door. Don't, you don't answer it. And the way that Jesus wants to come to your front door is through the ministry of his word. Point number two. <clears throat> Not only does the scripture lead to animation, but engaging with the Bible leads to achievement. Achievement. It does something. It doesn't just make you alive and make you potentially capable of things happening. The, the word does work. Isaiah 55, 11. God says this, So my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. Now this passage is an interesting one because again, Jesus draws a comparison. And whereas in Matthew chapter 4, it is physical life requires physical food, spiritual life requires physical, uh, spiritual food. In Isaiah 55, Jesus, uh, God goes into all of this. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. Um, just as rain and snow fall from the heaven and do not return there without saturating the earth, but making it germinate and spread and providing seed to sow and food to eat. So my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty. He draws another comparison and he says that his word works like rain on the earth. Like rain on the earth. It, is, uh, it can lead to feeding or flooding. What was the issue with the flood? People didn't care about the word of God anymore. Judgment. What happens when they are fed? It's because they are listening to the word and taking it into their life. There is an inherent power in rain to give life or to take life. And there is inherent power in the word to give or to destroy. That's a sobering word. But every day you have the opportunity with the word being said, it will accomplish my purpose. You have a ready-made and built-in ability because of your involvement in the word. The word is ready-made to either be used for edification or evangelism. Every day you have that opportunity to use the word to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ or to shed a light upon people who do not know the way yet. And the Bible says that we will be held accountable for every careless word. Wouldn't you rather be accountable for helping spread the word with your words? Here's the thing that's amazing. You may be involved in, in a minor conversation with the lady that checks you out at the supermarket, and you may use the word to encourage or evangelize her, and you may not know what seed sprouts, what, what plant sprouts from that. It might be years. But that conversation might be the thing that God uses to germinate her soul and to cause the word to take root and bear fruit. And you, through your casual, maybe we could even call it careless words, are the tool that God uses to bring spiritual growth in her life. This is a great promise that every word, that even a casual witness, can be effective. The truth is, when it comes to the word, whether we are talking to a brother or sister, or to someone who is a non-believer, you are not responsible for how they respond. But you are responsible for making sure that you uh, have delivered the message. You may, not, you may not be responsible for how they respond, but you are responsible for the delivery of the message. The Word achieves things. It will do things in your life. It will cause you to grow. It will cause you to go backwards if you do not heed it. And you will heap a blessing 
or condemnation by how you respond to it. Third and finally, engaging with God's word leads to effective assessment. Engaging with God's word leads to effective assessment. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. In the Greek, it makes it very clear that the word is alive. That's the very first word. Living is the word of God. First position. It has the ability, because it is alive, to see into your life. When it comes to your spiritual health, are you good at are you good at examining you? No. I mean, why do you go to the doctor if you're so good at examining you? You're not good at examining you. Whatever it is that Hebrews 4.12 is talking about, it talks about it's, it's able to penetrate as far as the separation of soul and spirit. What in the world is the difference between our soul and our spirit? We don't know, but the Word of God does. We don't even know the, the ideas and thoughts of our heart. Do you know everything that makes your heart tick? Do you know everything that motivates you? No. Plus, you're biased. You're going to grade yourself on a curve. But the Bible will see straight through you. And the truth is we need an honest assessment to humble our stubborn pride. God needs to smack us around with the sword of the Spirit every once in a while because we are so stubborn. But the Bible scrutinizes our heart and like a blade, like a scalpel, it lays us totally open and betrays what our motivations and our secret thoughts are. It does it. While we, you and I, may not be able to articulate what is going on in our heads and hearts, the scalpel of God's word always analyzes us accurately. The Bible going to tell you wrong? Nope. Never has. Never will. The truth is there are uh, truths in philosophy and sociology and psychology that can provide partial insights into the human experience. But not like the Word of God can. And shame on us for looking to a human science when we have God's Word accurately tell us what is going on. So here's what I'm asking of you. This is really simple and practical. If you are not engaging with the Word four days a week, will you start? Have you heard anything this morning that has pricked your heart or your conscience? Have you, have you, have you found out this morning that despite how long you have walked with the Lord, there are some corrective actions that you can take to reap the benefit of walking with the Lord, spending time in His Word. There are a variety of tools that are out there that are available for you to use. Listen, if you don't have a Bible, you can download one for free on a smartphone. You can take one of the Bibles that are right in front of you. You can take it home, and you're not stealing. We're giving it to you, all right? You don't need to ask permission. Take it. We want you to have it. We will buy more, and we will replace them. But will you 
see what God says about his word? Will you observe the benefits, the very tangible and practical things that it says that the word will do in your life? Will you hear these things about the word giving you life, animating you, working in your life, achieving things, providing honest assessment and go, yes, I want that because I don't have life in myself. I'm not doing everything that I need to be doing. I can't even assess myself honestly because I'm so biased and my heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can understand it? If you, um, if you have a computer or you have a smartphone, one of the wonderful things over the last um, two years at our church has been uh, the Version Bible app. Uh, I love it. It's an amazing thing. And I think we've got a, a screenshot here that you can do incredible things. If you are looking for a Bible reading plan, like you want to read through the Bible in a year, there's about a hundred different choices of like, do you start in the Old Testament? Do you start in the New Testament? Do you mix it up a little bit? But they have this whole thing where you can look through different biblical studies. If you want to do John to Revelation, if you want to talk about the end times, if you want about learning to love God greatly, there's all kinds of things in there. There are topics that you can go to. So if you want to talk about being a godly husband, getting on the same page with your parenting and how to do that well, any topic that you can think of from like just a straight Bible reading plan to something that is more devotional, it's there. And here's what's awesome, is um, these little things can ruin your life. Right? You, you ever been in a mall or a supermarket and someone ain't looking where they're going because they're too busy on their stinking phone? They just need to put it down. And here's what's amazing, is you have the opportunity to have the Bible in whatever language you want, with you all the time, and we do not use this for good. I'm just, I'm sick of seeing how people are so addicted to Farmville or whatever it is, or checking their stocks or Facebook. We don't use this for the kind of tool that it could be used for good, to have the Bible with us, to engage. One of the things that I'm most excited about is just um, maybe three or four months ago, maybe a little bit longer, they've created a way where this is not just an app that you can use it for yourself. Now, uh, kind of like through social media, you can do it with your friends. So now, not only are you reading it, but you have the opportunity to read it with a group of guys. And this is Keith's, uh, one of Keith's um, reading plans that he's doing with 11 fellas. Jonathan, Keith, Luke Gibson, Ben, Ryan, Sam, and Crouch. Uh, Sam Crouch, he goes down the list. And so they are reading through a Bible plan together. And then when they read it, it checks it off. And there's even the opportunity to get feedback on it, where they're now interacting about the Bible through an app and I don't know if anybody's got some comments here. Yeah, there, talk it over. Oh, there it is. What's this study showing us? What are you finding? And uh, here are young men in our church engaging with the word, with their brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen, not only is that good for their own personal spiritual growth, it's also good for their social interaction. It's building fellowship. So here's a question. Go back to the very first question I asked. If your spiritual life is a dashboard and your Bible engagement are your RPMs, is your needle flat? Have you ever stepped on the accelerator at all and see if you can get it to redline? Or is your engine so quiet we're not even sure? You might be turning the key a couple times. Because you, you even forgot that the engine's running because it's running so low. Today, would you do something about it? Because God promises that he has words of eternal life. 
that you will not find in the local paper. You're not going to find it on Fox News. You're going to find it in God's Word. Father, I pray today that you will help us to realize that your Word is our life. And it's not just a, a book that we're devoted to for a religious assembly, but it is something that gives us life, that gives us power, that prepares us for obstacles, that allows us to resist the evil one, to be able to provide encouragement to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Father, we can do much better in our encouragement than saying, wow, that's such a lovely dress. Father, help us to desire greater things. You are worthy of it. You have provided us life through your Son, and you, have, you will sustain our life through your Word and through your Spirit. We ask for them both to work in our lives for your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen.